You're listening to the Is This Odd Dr. Todd program from Los Angeles Magazine Studios, the show where you can get all your medical questions answered without an office visit. Please welcome comedy writer Dimitri Pappas and family medicine physician Dr. Todd Spector. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Is This Odd Dr. Todd. I am Dimitri and I am joined by the very esteemed, go ahead, say your name. Dr. Todd. There he is. See? Just like, it's like a house call right there. He just popped right in when I needed him. What's <laughs> up, getting, Dr. I'm Todd? Getting I'm getting better at this, I think. You, you're, you Listen, all we need for you to be good at is the medical stuff. Um, speaking of, I'm going to start this off with a little personal uh, question here. Sure. I have been, um, I, I just want to, I don't know if I'm, I'm partially maybe asking some medical advice, but partially getting something off my chest. So I had a lot of visitors in for Thanksgiving and the holiday, and they were here for a while. And afterward, I just, you know, I just haven't been feeling great. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a little stuff, a little bit of a sore throat, but that was about it, you know. Mm-hmm. But part of what get, what gets me now is as soon as you, and I'm sure everyone can can associate with it, as soon as you give a sign of that or you say something or you or you see most people like, did you test? And so my question is, Dr. Saad, do, is, this, is this the way life is going to be from now on? Anytime you have any kind of a thing, you either have to test or people are going to say, hey, have you tested? Like, this is where we're at now, right? Well, Dimitri, I'm assuming you're talking about testing for COVID. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure what your Thanksgiving is like or who was there. But, <laughs> you know, in different communities, did you test has different connotations. So that's a good question. You know, there's not firm guidelines the way they were back in 2021 in terms of like if you have a sniffle or a cold or a sore throat or any upper respiratory infections, you should in symptoms, you should just go ahead and take a COVID test. That that's no longer the recommendation. Um, I think it's really like, for instance, in the past, before COVID, if you had a runny nose or a cough, you wouldn't go running into the doctor unless you weren't getting better after maybe four or five days or you were getting worse or you had some worrisome features like fever or shortness of breath that you were concerned about. So we're kind of getting there with COVID. And it depends a little bit stylistically. Like there are some doctors and it's certainly in some high-risk individuals who you might want to know really soon, do they have COVID or not? Might you want to start something like Paxlovid? Um, you know, are they high risk? Might you want to not expose them to other people? But for most, in particular, like kids, we're tending to recommend treat it the way you would an old-fashioned cold. If your kid has a fever, don't send them to school. If they have a runny nose, but otherwise they feel well, they can go to school. If they're getting worse on day four to five, or they develop a fever at any point, then that might be worth looking into doing a COVID test. But I wouldn't just, if I had a stuffy nose and a little sore throat, immediately do a COVID test myself personally, because I'm not particularly high risk. And if the symptoms resolve in 24 to 48 hours, it really doesn't matter. Right. And that's the way I've been throughout my life. I'm usually pretty tough about stuff. If I don't feel well, I just kind of power through it. Obviously, if I think I have something more, I'm not going to go. I don't want to get anybody else sick. I did happen to test at this point and I, and I am fine. But to me, it was like, it takes away that ability to just power through something where all of a sudden and with the kids and stuff, it's like you send them. So anyway, um, I think all this to say, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that people, this will sort of 
become just a circulating respiratory pathogen, just like everything else, like the old coronas and rhinos and adenoviruses. But people are so accustomed to testing now that, it, or even, you know, they want PCR testing. Oh, what kind of cold do I have? Is it rhino? Is it adeno? Is it the old corona? You know, RSV, whatever it is, like, we used to just, we didn't know what it was, but now we can get these PCRs really quickly and we can determine what type of cold it is, including flu or COVID. So I, yeah. I there's probably, I think it'll, I think it'll even out, but no, I don't think you need to test yourself if you're, especially if you're getting better. I'm, okay. From and all this to say, standpoint. all this to say, I may get a tickle in my throat and start coughing an uncontrollable cough during the show, but I'll do my best to uh, mute my microphone. And then you can just kind of improv. Sure. Yeah, just wax on a little bit. I don't know how to mute my microphone, so if I start coughing. <laughs> okay, good. Um, all right, well, let's get into the uh, the actual questions that the listeners have sent in. You ready? Got it. All right. Uh, first one, man. <laughs> this is, I didn't, you know, I, like I said, I'm a little behind on this. I didn't really pre-screen these. Sometimes I like to read them ahead. I did not reread these or read these beforehand. And is this odd, Dr. Todd? We might have to change it to this is odd, Dr. Todd. Right. Here's the first question. Dr. Todd. Can you hurt testicles by squeezing them too hard? Thanks. Yeah. So I'm assuming this was one of your Thanksgiving guests. <laughs> this is uh, just kind of a, a side I can't project. take credit for that. Listen, I am. I'm curious for sure, but I did not, uh, I did not send this one in. This wasn't left in the suggestion box at your house that you had set up for mm. Thanksgiving? No. No <laughs> suggestions. Well, <clears throat> yes. Theoretically, but you'd have to squeeze them pretty hard. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, I think any type of blunt trauma to the testes can be, can cause injury just like any other body part. Um, would it cause something like infertility? Very unlikely. Might it cause a bruise? Yes. But I don't think you can really do any serious harm by playfully squeezing testicles during sex. I think that you could, you know, yeah. Sorry. That, to that, no, that's what that's see. This is where my, this is where I'm, I'm, my interest is peaked. I don't know what this means. Like you threw in the word playfully. This doesn't say playfully. This also doesn't say my own or someone else's like, I'm curious what, where, what, what is the root of this question? Can you hurt testicles by squeezing them too hard? Are you trying to hurt them? Are you not like this? This is to me. Hey, and listen, there's no bad questions here on uh, is this odd, Dr. Todd. You send in, we're going to answer. Like, feel free to ask this. That's what this is. It's a, it's a safe zone to ask what you need to ask. I'm just so curious as to where this has come from. Well, um, yes, clearly you're in the comedy and not healthcare business. But this is not that odd of a question for us. And um, testicular trauma is something that we see pretty commonly. Guys are very worried uh, about have they injured themselves? Have they caused any permanent harm? Is the whole thing going to just fall off, shrivel up, whatever? I'd, I'd say that very rarely is that the case. I mean, with a testicular squeezing injury, I mean, in, you know, I think it's more blunt force like in an accident or you know, baseball game or, you know, some type of martial art, but not, I'm assuming this is a, uh, this is someone who's talking about some, uh, having some fun in bed and not necessarily um, thinking about how to torture somebody. Um, but, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. So I would say in this case, the answer is very unlikely uh, if it's done in good fun. 
Okay. And that's, see, that's, that's why I could never be a doctor. Cause you come up with words like testicular trauma where I'm thinking like, you know, you know, nut, nut, nut busting or something, but, <laughs> and I know you wouldn't use that with a patient, I'm sure. Uh, and I think that's probably the difference, but again, this is, this is, this is why I'm glad that we're doing this. One, we're helping people do it's questions like this. Like this just, I'm going to be thinking about this for the rest of the day. Did some, was someone like, could I, like, could these pop? And again, are they talking about themselves or somebody else? Anyway, we're not going to well, spend too much time on this question. Okay. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? You're I was the doc. Say that I have actually seen, you can get, I have seen some people, uh, I not some people, I have seen a couple of cases in my career of people who were uh, having uh, a little aggressive fun in bed with oral sex and putting some traction on the testes, their partner was with their mouth. And then, so pulling down on the testy with their mouth and then letting it go. And the testy actually torques oh on its access. And that can actually be, you know, painful. But that, 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 I think that was just sort of something that might have happened, um, that they might have been prone to just because of their anatomy. It would be a very unlikely thing. But yeah, I'd say that this unlikely to, the, the, the bottom line here is that's, unlikely to hurt by squeezing. That's a, that's in the medical, uh, world known as the testicular slingshot. Yes. Yes. Um, now, I love the way you started that. I have seen where someone did this. So clearly you didn't see it happen. So someone had to come in and explain this to you, correct? Correct. Yeah. And they, they literally said, oh, we were tugging too hard with the mouth and I just kind of let it go in a fun, playful, yeah. rubber bandish way. Yes. And now yeah. I'm in a lot of pain and I've got some swelling. And ultimately that person needed to have a, a very small procedure to fix it. Um, but I'm surprised yeah. more doctors don't do stand up. <laughs> All right. Next question. Dear Dr. Todd, I'm 34. And it seems nowadays that every time I drink alcohol, anything more than one drink, I get very bad hangovers and sometimes, but not always even vomit. Mm. I don't drink anymore and probably even a bit less than I did when I was younger. Why is this happening? Thanks so much, Denise. <sighs> well, I think that Denise should look at this as a positive thing, not a negative. You know, I, I, I do think that as you we get like older, a parent. <laughs> I do think as we get older, we have more trouble metabolizing alcohol. We have trouble. I mean, I'm sure you remember being on a overnight flight when you were 18 or 20 years old, a red eye, you could get up and bounce around. And now as you get older, those overnight flights and sleeplessness are much more difficult. So there might be lots of reasons. You know, I don't know how big this person is, but if you're small, obviously the alcohol um, distributes in a smaller area. So more of it gets um, circulated to your brain there. I'm not sure if this person's on any medications that might be um, causing some, you know, change in her metabolism of alcohol, either increase or decrease metabolism. You know, there's a issue with hydration. You know, some people, if they're not eating or drinking properly and they're drinking alcohol, they may feel dehydrated and wake up the next day really hungover from dehydration. And I, I think that probably most, most commonly, actually, the problem with alcohol as you get older, it, I, I hate to use the word it's a poison, but it's a toxin. And if you drink too much and your liver can't filter it and you wake up the next day and you're used to actually feeling pretty good, you're going to be more sensitive to the way your body feels. And then you layer on a dehydration and actually sleep disturbance. That's what a hangover is. But so, but the 34, like, isn't that a little young to be throwing up from having one drink, sometimes vomiting, but 
Um, like, I mean, it would be very rare that this person had de developed some type of enzyme deficiency that wasn't allowing her to metabolize alcohol. I, I would be curious about medications that she's on and other things. But yeah, one drink seems like a, seems like a lot. Uh, it seems like not a lot to be causing vomiting. So I would want a little right. bit more history about medications and sort of what else is going on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do. It's not typical in some, for someone to have that complaint in their thirties. Although typically people are like, yeah, I just start drinking less because I wake up feeling terrible. When I was in college, I could have like five drinks and I felt fine. Yeah. <clears throat> I was a machine back in the day. Like I hangovers never i never had a hangover now it's not so much that i get hangovers but now i actually uh, i don't sleep well when i drink. yeah, yeah i know yeah, it's, it's such a bummer i mean i'm the same way i know i mean i'm a big guy i'm 250 pounds and i can have a drink and feel totally fine the next day if i have two drinks i notice it and if i have any more than two drinks i really don't feel good and yeah. um i and I actually i think one of the hard things about alcohol is it it disinhibits you. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but the way that alcohol works and the reason that, you know, people will drink alcohol before they go to bars and to meet people is because it disinhibits them. So they're more, they feel like they're more social. They're funny. They're like more willing to put, you know, take some risks and go meet somebody. Sure. But it also lowers your, your sort of regulatory switch to say, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to stop. So once you've had one drink, most people will move on to two or three. And because it's because it's making you feel better, right? You're feeling a little more comfortable. You think, well, let me just keep this going. Yeah, yeah. And you're disinhibited. You don't have that sort of, hey, it's probably not a good idea to have a drink right now. I, I'm going to feel terrible yeah. tomorrow. You're not thinking about that. The off switch is kind of gone. Next thing you know, you're making an ass out of yourself. <laughs> Been there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to hear more about that, Dimitri. Yeah, that's a that's another time. Uh, that's why it's so. What you're saying is it's earlier. It's better to drink earlier in the day so it doesn't disrupt your sleep. Got it. <laughs> exactly. Maybe just all drink. Right. Some, there are all these things that are you know people try like activated charcoal and all these like yeah. Does that work? Coach. You know, I I haven't tried it myself. I've heard mixed things about it. You know, we do use activated charcoal for people who uh, you know we think have ingested poisons. Um, so I can't imagine why if you take activated charcoal and you've drank alcohol, why it may not work, but I don't know if it blunts the effect of the alcohol. I just don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen, I'd have to probably look into that. Maybe for next time I'll look a little further into that. I have taken it oh. and um, I was really hoping, I, I was almost nervous when I asked that question because I didn't want you to be like, nope, it doesn't work because I honestly do think it works a little bit. It, yeah. It's not that it, it not that it stops you from getting drunk. It's not that it stops you from feeling bad later, but I definitely think it, it lessens whatever that may be, you know, because I've, I've had drinks with people that I've often gone toe to toe with. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and sometimes I've taken the activated charcoal and they will be in much worse shape than, than I am. Whether like during or later, so yeah, I'm I mean, a fan I mean, of it. I, if I'm going out for a big day of of, of drinking or you know, wine tasting or whatever, I will take some because I think I think it helps. Yeah, I, I don't, and I think it's pretty harmless. People do people take that stuff for all different kinds of things, but it essentially stops the absorption a little bit. So maybe you know if you have three or four drinks, you know you can enjoy them and maybe don't have the absorption of all of that alcohol and other stuff. Um, yeah, it makes sense well, intuitively. Listen. I just don't know the exact uh, physiology there. Yeah, well, maybe the, Denise can try that. <laughs> yeah. Listen. Thank you, Dimitri. Um, yeah. Hey, listen, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, okay, next question. Yes. Hi, Dr. Todd. 
What's the best position to have sex in to avoid getting pregnant? I appreciate your help with an exclamation point. Char, this sounds like a, a timely thing. They're they're looking to go and not have a kid. So what do you got? What's the best position to not get pregnant? I would say probably being in separate rooms. <laughs> That's not the question, Dr. Todd. Being by yourself. They want to do it. Yeah, there's uh, there's there's no form of intercourse that is better or worse for getting pregnant. For instance, Dimitri, I know you have a number of kids. I may, this might be a little bit too, little too late, but you know, it doesn't matter the position you're in. If you're having intercourse and it's unprotected, you're, you have a high likelihood of getting pregnant if, if everybody, you know, if the ovulation period is happening. So well, I'd like to point out one, you just said, Demetri, it's too late. And I'd like to say that every time I tell people I have four kids, they go, whoa, four kids. And it's because having kids is not like drinking. No one ever comes in after your third kid and goes, hey, listen, I think you've had enough. Right. But if you have too many drinks, they're like, hey, you might want to slow down. No one does that. They wait till after. And then they say, whoa, four kids. What were you thinking? So I just like to point that out. But number two, let me ask you this. Why is it then when people are trying to get pregnant, they try like. Don't they try stuff like put a pillow under them or like, is, don't people try certain things to try and get pregnant? So there's really no theory behind this at all. Then. Well, I mean, I think that uh, I have certainly heard from gynecologists and fertility specialists that, you know, if the person, if the woman is on her back and the man ejaculates inside of her, that she shouldn't get up and run to the restroom right away and, you know, try and expel the ejaculate from her vagina. She should lie there ideally on her back, you know, or, or, but I don't know if it matters what position the ejaculation occurred. I think you just sort of want to lie in that position. Let, for, let it soak in. Yeah. Just for a lot of the sperm to That's enter gross. the cervix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they got, a, they got a lot of swimming to do. So, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to let gravity pull those guys in the wrong direction and gals. Yeah. I should say. yeah. Uh, I'd like to just jump in and, and make a, a little, um, give a little support for my friend and our, our uh, esteemed Dr. Todd here, because I, uh, it's funny. I hear he's a good guy. He's fun to be around even at parties, but I hear him now all kind of doctory and nerdy and stuff. He's like, well, it depends on the ejaculation and the point of the, and I'm just like, I'm like, man, he sounds so, but that's a doctor in him. And that's why we appreciate it. But he is, he is a fun guy. Um, and, you know, he doesn't always talk like that in, in normal everyday life. It depends on who I'm talking to. Oh, you know, right. Yeah, well, yeah. Like if I were your Thanksgiving and your mom, you know, was asking me some questions, I tend to be more medical than if, you know, it was one of our peers. You well, know, I, I, I would I would appreciate that. Yeah. Yes. And I also appreciate the fact that you're doing that here because, you know, we have people that are looking to you as much fun as we have here. People are looking to you for actual medical guidance. So you can't be, you know, saying things like, you know, nut busting or, or you know, this and that. It's just got to it's just got to be, um, you know, you, you got to use your your formal uh, your formal stuff. So I appreciate that. Well, maybe we could have a quiz one day where you you give me a sexual term and I have to define it medically. Hmm. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. You know, we'll, we'll be a very special episode. We'll do a little kind of a game show atmosphere. Put that, put that down. Um, write that down. Somebody like a Jeopardy style. What is down. ejaculation? Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't. I'm not sure. Um, all right. Next question. Right. Yeah. 
Dear Dr. Todd, there's a lot of theories as to what can lead to Alzheimer's, things like high blood pressure, obesity, and cholesterol. What are some other connections? And in your opinion, what is the best way to go about potentially avoiding it as best you can? Thanks mm-hmm. so much, Michelle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I think there's two, there's not to, to break this up too much, but there's really, I think, a, a question embedded in the question was like, how do you prevent dementia? Because we don't necessarily know whether hypertension, hyperlipidemia, high cholesterol, high blood sugar actually lead to Alzheimer's, but they may lead to dementia. So this person might be asking about what are the best ways to prevent dementia, including Alzheimer's disease? Because there's a number of types of dementia. Um, There's dementia that could be related to Parkinson's disease. There's dementia that could be related to multiple strokes or infarcts. We call that multi-infarct dementia, which could be related to hypertension. And then Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's is a specific type of neurodegenerative disease that has to do, without getting too complicated, some abnormal protein formation in the brain. Don't worry. You lost me a while ago. (laughs) This is is for everybody else. Go ahead. So when I I talk to people, because I think that there's... One excellent thing that's happened is that we have prolonged people's lives quite a bit. So now it just came out the average life expectancy in the United States is around 77 years of age. If people live to 40, 45 years old, like they did back in the 17 and 1800s, for the most part, they didn't really live long enough to develop dementia. Now, as we're living longer, we have more, more opportunity to develop dementia. So the things that we certainly worry about are obesity, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and high blood sugar. Those are things that we can ideally control to lower the risk of dementia. The other thing, getting back to the drinking question, is really, I mean, there's very few recommendations out there that suggest that any amount of alcohol is good for preserving memory. And that if people are really interested in preserving memory, that they're going to minimize their alcohol intake over their lifetime. It doesn't mean you can't ever have a drink. It doesn't mean you can't have you know, a couple of drinks a week. It, 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 it's more just a lifetime cumulative amount of alcohol. So if you're the kind of person who has you know, four drinks a night and then a bunch of drinks on the weekend, that's a behavior you're probably going to want to curtail sooner rather than later. Um, mm. And then there's you know, other parts of you know, dementia, which is just people who do crosswords puzzles or stay engaged in their career, people who stay engaged with their families, people who are engaged with their community, they tend to progress more slowly to dementia and cognitive decline than people who are isolated, living by themselves without a lot of stimulation. Sure. I mean, you, if you... The more you use your brain, the problem, like anything, the more, you know, the more you use your muscles, the, the, you know, the, the better chances that they, you know, you stay in shape and they're, they're useful when you need them and this and that. Um, now, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, especially with dementia, as you were saying, people, I, I feel like the people that think about this, and maybe that's where, um, that's where Michelle was coming from, is that when something is, is, is known to be hereditary or known mm-hmm. that it can be something and you see someone in the generation uh, prior to you or two generations, or whatever, then you start to worry and you start to think, what can I do differently? So, uh, the, so the truth is some things they are, there are, whether it's hereditary or not, there are certain things that you can do to help that. It doesn't mean that you're, you're destined to follow in the footsteps of the person. Right. Running. All, all of these things are multifactorial and, you know, there are some genetic versions, you know, there are some genes associated with Alzheimer's disease, but if you have that gene, you, there's nothing 
you can do yet. In our very near future, which, you know, from evolutionary terms might be 50 to 100 years, I think we as human beings will be able to interact with our genes through molecular robots, et cetera, to repair some of these genes that may predispose of us to certain types of dementia, like frontotemporal dementia. Um, you know, and there are certain types of dementia that are passed on um, genetically that if you have the gene, they're autosomal dominant, you're going to have that problem. You know, for instance, if your yeah. father had early dementia and you get tested and you've got the gene for it, there's, you know, really, you're, you're going to have it. And we don't really have a great therapy for it at this point. It's really devastating. Yeah. The the other thing I thought I found interesting um, that you said was back in the day, people didn't live long as long, right? So now that we're living longer, there's more an ability to, so it's funny, a lot of people, myself included, a lot of people think like, oh, listen, we have so many more things, you know, so many more sicknesses. And it's like, well, we're also living longer. So there's more of that. We're now still finding out about what happens when you reach a certain age. Whereas, you know, the cavemen were living to what, like 20s? Probably. I mean, they were dying of all kinds of stuff. I mean, they probably didn't have as much disease, like infectious disease, because there was very little, you know, these tribes of human beings were pretty isolated from one another. It really wasn't until people started living in cities that we started to see a lot more infectious disease. I mean, there would be, you know, un, you know, all kinds of genetic and metabolic syndromes and this and that, that, um, <clears throat> that would occur. Um, but we early on with cave people, and, you know, yeah. when communities before when they were more agrarian and they were not living in cities, we saw less infectious because there was less um, communication. But I mean, I, I would when I was in Mexico, I was amazed that the native um, the native Mexican population. We all know you went to Mexico, Doctor Todd. We get it. Yeah, they in when the Europeans landed in Mexico the population of natives living in Mexico was reduced from 11 million to 1 million in 10 years by infectious disease. I mean, just to talk about how powerful that is, a whole civilization was gone to infectious disease in a very short period of time. And, you know, that's why, you know, getting back to the original question about COVID, that's why everyone was so terrified of, 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 a, of a new novel virus that human beings hadn't seen before because it, you know, the right one could really devastate populations. Right. Well, I, I'm going to push back on something here. So you sure. said that cavemen don't like, they didn't die from, from these types of disease, which I find shocking because they were literally just killing animals and roasting them on an open fire and eating them. Um, and you, so you're probably like, Oh, they died more from like falling boulders or whatever, but that's because what we know, but they didn't have people like you, Dr. Todd, right. No. They didn't go to the doctors. They didn't say, Oh, this is why this person died. You just said, Oh, they died in their twenties or whatever it is. But we don't know. I mean, it could have been from, from certain things like that. Couldn't it? Well, it probably was, um, mostly, yeah, well, they, they, they weren't dying from tobacco use. Um, they might've been making alcohol back there. I don't know, but you know, usually it was injuries in genetic syndromes, malnutrition. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that type of stuff, you know, even, you know, coronary artery disease, we really wouldn't see people dying too much of that until they're the fifties or sixties. But if you look at, at the charts of um, average age length over time, it really is an exponential curve 
starting with the era of modern medicine and germ theory of disease, which is in the 17 and 1800s, people really started to live a lot longer. Um, we didn't even right. know what, you know, caused disease, but yeah. So we are and keeping they also, people alive longer. They also didn't have to deal with the crap we put in foods now, like corn syrup and whatnot. But one quick thing before we go on to the last question is yeah. uh, this from the caveman talk reminds me. One time I was um, out in, um, in, in Palm Springs and I went to the grocery store and I heard this guy chatting up the person at the meat counter and they were like, yeah, no. They're like, and the, and the, the, person at the meat counter was like, well, that's an interesting uh, diet. And he goes, you know, it's not a diet. It's a way of life. Basically, if a caveman didn't eat it, I don't eat it. And they're like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, all right, well. And then the next thing out of that person's mouth, okay, well, thanks. You know, have a good day. They go, hey, by the way, what aisle is the LaCroix in? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So the caveman must have enjoyed the LaCroix back then, I guess. With, with their nuts, berries, and, uh, and, and like organ meats. Exactly. All right. Uh, we have time for one more question. Sure. And I have to say, I think the, the producers did a nice job of piecing this together because we are certainly bouncing between topics up and down here. This one starts off, Dr. Todd, sorry if this is gross, but why is it that my butt seems to leak? Sometimes if I simply go to the bathroom and wipe, not actually go there's stuff to wipe, even though I didn't go to the bathroom or even pass gas. Hmm. Darren. Hmm. Okay. So again, on butt leaks, Dr. Todd, <laughs> not left in the suggestion box at Thanksgiving. <laughs> nope. Was that an insult on my cooking? <laughs> um, well, there's a couple of reasons for this. You know, one of the most common ones is actually constipation. And that if there's a bunch of stool, throughout the colon that that there could be leakage of that of of fluid and it just drains out through your bottom and when you sit down the, the second kind of common thing that happens is people you know may have excess moisture there um just sweat etc and they think that it's related to colon leakage but it's not but and then there are other things like anal fissures which is our tearing of the um the sphincter muscle and it can, yes, it can happen with constipation. And and sometimes it just, it happens and those can cause some leakage. But I'd say probably in this person's case, it's dietary and, you know, not to give a lot of advice here, but, you know, over the counter psyllium husk um, is great for this type of issue. And people will find some relief with that. And then Obviously, there are um, medicated wipes, especially that people use that they find sort of soothing for this. But it's, it typically doesn't represent a medical problem. It's just uncomfortable and inconvenient. But I, I think that for this person, I would probably be interested in what their bowel habits are like. Are they, are they having hard stools, small pellets? That That's usually constipation. Do they go to the bathroom every day? Or the flip side is, do they have diarrhea? And then much less commonly, you know, are there other symptoms going on that might trigger me to think about something more worrisome like inflammatory bowel disease or an infectious colitis but i don't think that's this person's i think this is a person with a sweaty bottom maybe some constipation is this an age thing like yeah i know you often ask i'd be curious if they included their age what 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 would you guess this person's age is does this have anything to do with age i'd say probably 20s or so maybe you know really hard to complain about this not i don't know why maybe they're just not paying attention before that but usually it's you know guys in their 20s you know they i think there are some um i i think it's very common you know you'll hear about this 
in the summer when it's really hot, we'll hear a yeah. little about this type of stuff. But I would, I would say, have guessed older. Well, certainly, but. yeah, people when they're older, they're also like, whatever, I don't even care anymore. That's been going on for 20 yeah. years. When they're true, right? You know, they're just like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I just like to point out that, see, is this is why is this odd, Dr. Todd, is the name of the podcast because. We went from squeezing testicles to Alzheimer's to, uh, I believe the phrasing you used was anal fissures. <laughs> so yeah. we're definitely yeah. covering you. Listen, there's no question is too odd. You send them all in because. Um, Dr. I know I, I do enjoy the breadth of questions we get here. They're, I sometimes I surprise myself yeah. when I start waxing on about these things that I even haven't answered all of them. I'm super impressed. Honestly, so sometimes I, like I said, I didn't pre-read these questions, but sometimes when I pre-read them, I'll be like, I got five bucks says he doesn't know. But so far, <laughs> Dr. Todd, you've known, you've had something to say, something intelligent to say on all of them. So that makes me feel like we're doing a good thing for the listeners. Um, just to recap here, you know, uh, can you hurt testicles, yours or someone else's by squeezing too hard? Not really. So go for it. Um, drink an alcohol, maybe try activated charcoal or just, you know, just make sure double check your, your other things, your medications, your sleeping, this and that shouldn't be a problem. The best position to avoid having sex is having, not having sex. So there's no position that's going to work in your favor one way or the other. Um, Alzheimer's, there are certain things you can do and, you know, um, just kind of follow along with, with, the, with the recommendations that you hear and, and, you know, and don't stress about it too much, I guess is what Dr. Sa Dr. Todd said. And in terms of uh, butt leakage, I don't know, deal with it. Medicated <laughs> pads. I don't put some Northern in the back of your pants. That was my advice. Not Dr. Todd's. <laughs> well, I'm going back to the Alzheimer's, all the rest of them. I thought you recapped correctly. I think that for the Alzheimer's person, I think that if they have a family history of early dementia, meaning, you know, 40 to 60 years old, they should probably talk to their doctor about some genetic testing. If they're an older person in their 50s or 60s who doesn't have dementia, who wants to think about how, how to prevent dementia, then I think it's the lifestyle stuff, food and exercise and sleep, and then, of course, managing the diseases. But everything else, I think you got right. Thanks for clearing that up. I'm glad I'm I'm glad I was able to get the the nut squeezing and the butt leakage right, and and I messed up on that one. But I that's why that's hey, listen, that's why you're here is to to clarify and make sure people get the correct info. Doctor Todd, thank you once again. You're most welcome. It was a pleasure. Looking forward to next. Well, week. that was a it was a meatball right there waiting for you to thank me, but it didn't really happen. And we want to thank, thank Los Angeles Magazine for giving us the platform. It's too late, Doctor Todd. Try again next week. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Is This Odd Dr. Todd program from Los Angeles Magazine Studios. If you have any medical questions and want to hear from Dr. Todd, be sure to email podcasts at lamag.com.